Card Games TV podcast. General thoughts on card games, Dragon Ball Super being the specific one that I'm currently involved in. Of course, I'm looking into other card games like um, One Piece, uh, My Hero Academia, looking into those. Um, But I was thinking like, what do people like about my podcast? If they like my podcast, right? You know, what is it about it that they do they look forward to and what they expect? I tend to not get as much feedback as much as I would like to. I would like more feedback. Kind of makes me think, since I got, you know, some people who thought they were giving feedback, but they weren't. They were actually just being disrespectful that they that start giving people the impression that they can't give me feedback, which is incorrect. You can give me feedback, just don't be disrespectful. That's the thing. Most people make a habit of trying to make things personal instead of just, you know, sharing information. That's the whole point of talking, right? Communicating. The point of, you know, videos and podcasts and so forth. It's just putting information out there, right? Sharing thoughts you know if I put a lot of time and effort into a card game right I have a lot to say right makes sense so why wouldn't I share it with other people who also you know play card games right and that goes with goes with any activity so that makes me wonder you know it's like okay what do people want to hear like you know do they want to hear spice makes me wonder if that's what people are looking for. They're looking for spice. Because on my channel, I noticed that um, most of my... The videos that get the most views tend to be my um, my uh, deck profiles. The second videos that get the most views is some gameplays. But typically, it's the profiles that get more, more of the attention. I guess because it takes... So I'm just trying to figure out, like, why, right? Maybe because it takes less time to look at the deck profile. Since most people don't even watch the full video. That's another thing I noticed. Not many people are watching. I'll make a 30-minute video, and on average, people watch at most two minutes, at most. I get lucky I get lucky if I get two minutes out of somebody's time when it comes to my videos, even though the videos are 30 minutes long, which means I spent 30 minutes making, you know, recording the video. That's not including... You know, any editing I might have to do, that takes time. Then the fact that I got to, you know, upload it. Then the time it took to even create the deck in the first place. Then to test out the deck, to make sure it works the way, you know, I want the deck to work. You know, based off of the concept that I have for the deck. And then I got to do all that to put it out there and people only spend two minutes on the video. Which I'm assuming means they're only looking at the list. So they just look at the list since I show the whole list in the beginning of the video or throughout the video. So you don't really have to listen to me per se, but you miss out on a lot of you know important information, a lot of ideas and combos and game theories and the reason why the deck you know is built the way it's built, the reason why it might have super combos in it or it might not have super combos, you know, the reasoning for it. Like some people will notice. Like, oh shit, this deck profile has super combos. And then that's it. 
<laughs> that's all they, they, they say. It's like, that's it. Nothing more. Nothing about why I have it. The explanation of why it's in there. Or like, especially if I spend time talking about the super combo that I use, you know, and why it's in the deck and the purpose for it. You, you, all you care is that it was in there, and that's it. You don't care why it's in there. You just care that it is in there. So when I don't put a super combo, all you care about is pointing out that, oh, there is no super combo, and that's it. Not the reason, not the reasoning behind it. So the fact that most people don't point out, you know, details, information that I share specifically lets me know that people just, you know, they, they, they make, they, they, they create their own conclusions, right? They create their own stories. So it, so it kind of gets me back to the mindset of like back in the day when I used, you know, used to make a Yu-Gi-Oh deck profiles, even though I call them deck profiles, I never talked in video. I just showed the, the list, right? And then put some music to it, put some text to it, and then that's it. I really didn't talk. Then some people, you know, point out the fact that they would like to hear me talk about the deck. It's like, okay, you want to hear me talk about the deck? Yeah, that is that would make it a deck profile as opposed to essentially a deck list to music. So, all right, I'll start talking. And, you know, I got some positive responses, be, you know, because of it. So that's, that was good. So it was, so something different some people wanted. Then there was the whole, they want gameplay. So then I had to get some gameplay and add it to it. Um, and it wasn't that hard with Yu-Gi-Oh! Consider the fact that we had a, you know, um, Yu-Gi-Oh! Pro or Edo Pro where we have a automatic, you know, dual system that allows us to be able to play test, you know, real quick and easy. So since we have a simulator for the card game, it was easy to, you know, do gameplay. As opposed to try to do gameplay in like real life and stuff like that, that tends to be a little bit harder. Because, you know, it's hard to get people <laughs> to do things that you want them to do unless you pay them, unless you're giving people money to play a game with you in order to record it. That's a different story, right? So that's the beauty of, like, online simulators is it allows you to be able to, you know, get as many games out as you possibly can, record as many games, right? And then you can use that as, a, you know, as content if you're a content creator or at least as um, archive, right, as um, proof of your deck's capabilities. Like, look, here's the deck, here's the list, here's the deck in action, so you can see the value in the deck. So here's the proof that you need that the deck is worth giving it a try. And think about all that time and effort spent just to show that a deck is worth trying. When you think it would be enough just to show the list, and then people will be like, okay, this list looks interesting, let me give it a try. But I noticed most people are getting lazier and lazier and lazier. So lazy they won't even watch a full 30 minute video, even though there's so much information that's, you know, this in the video. So much, I, you know, there's so much in the video. There's so much more in the video for the person to, to get value out of the video. And it's free. It's not like you're paying to watch the video. You're watching it for free. So spend that extra time to watch the full video. But, oh well. Right, you know, can't make people do something they don't want to do, right? Um, technically, um, so it's like, okay, well, if people are going to spend less time um, checking out my videos, then I'll make, I'll spend less time making them, right? It's only logical. So, 
you know, you know, little things like that, you know, I do take to account, right? You know, um, when I get uh, likes, you know, I take that to account, but I prefer, you know, uh, feedback, right? Comments, letting me know, you know, there's something that I, you know, something is good, right? And that's the main thing is for, if you're going to critique, proper critiquing, I actually had to make a video about how to properly critique. It is the fact that you got to point out the positive first, obviously, then point out the negatives and then give a solution for the negatives. Don't just only talk about the negatives, right? What, what you think, especially if it's an opinion, we need facts. You can't just have an opinion of the deck and then think that matters, that that's critiquing. That's not, that's an opinion. That's not a fact. A critique is based off of facts. It's based off of something is wrong and you have a solution for it. That's what critiquing is supposed to be. That's the purpose of critiquing. It's because you want the thing to be better and improved and you want the thing to succeed. So if I create a, a deck that, you know, is designed to OTK on turn two or something like that, and you notice that um, something's wrong and it'll be obviously um, hard to perform the OTK because of whatever reasons, and you're able to, you know, notice it, and you make make and you make that, you know, uh, you know, you you let me know that that's that there's something wrong, and then you point out, you know, how to solve it. Especially if you took time to test out the idea in the first place, and then be like, okay, I noticed there's certain issues and certain flaws or something. Like most people would just tell me that you know they think something's bad, and then that's it. It's like, okay, you think it's bad, but you don't know that it's bad. There's a difference. It's like, it's, you know, I mean, I'm not too surprised. Most people out there just love saying negative things just to, just to say it. Like, you know, it's their way of relieving stress. You know, they're having issues in their lives. Maybe their, their decks are not doing so well, right? Like they're playing, you know, at their locals or something and they keep scrubbing out. And then they see my deck profile, right? And then they decide, you know what? They want to say that my profile is trash right express their feelings but their feelings is not warranted right their feelings comes from their own inaccuracies but they want to take it out on me right they want to say that i'm doing something wrong when in fact it's them just having the issues um, sometimes some people have you know the, the opinions that come from the fact that they play a similar deck so they'll complain like why play that you know the deck that way why don't you play it like everybody else plays it it's like because I don't, I play it the way I like to play. And the problem is, is assuming that my way isn't the right way, right? It's assuming that the way I play isn't better than how everybody else plays. It's like f for everybody else, yes, they, they can play how they play. And if it works for them, great, you know, so be it. But if my way works best for me, then that's what matters the most is what works best for me. I don't care what's, you know, what works best for everybody else. That's, that's on y'all. Y'all figure out what works best for y'all and then just go and just use it. Because to me, what works is what matters, right? So if it works, that's what matters. So do what works for you. Not necessarily what, what works for somebody else. Too many people are, are obsessed with the idea of like they see somebody else do good with something, then they think that by copying off of that person, they, they'll do just as good as that person. It's like, that's not how that works. That's not how it works. You gotta um, do what works. So 
if doing things differently than everybody else works, then that's what you do. You don't do what everybody else does and think it's going to work. And then when you don't get the results you wanted, buy cock on for everybody else. Then instead of taking responsibility for the fact that you couldn't make it work, you want to blame everybody else, right? Like, like if it's, <laughs> like if it's everybody else's fault that you couldn't use a deck the way it was meant to be used. You didn't get the results that you expected to get from copying that deck. This is why, you know, one of the many reasons why net decking is bad. Because most people don't even know how to do it properly. You know? Like, to me, people just think just literally copying a deck list is all it takes to net deck. That's all it takes to be as good as the person who, who, who you know, whose deck you copied. And it's like, that's not how that works. You, you need to know how they think. You need to know the decisions they make, how they mulligan, how they combo, how they negate, right? You might think stuff like that is like basic, like, oh, everybody knows how to negate. Not necessary. You, you, because it depends on what you want to negate, what's valuable. I mean, it should be common sense that you want to negate a double strike versus a single strike. But typically, you don't want to take crit damage. You'd rather take, you know, um, regular damage. So you would negate something that has crit and take, you know, regular damage from something that doesn't have crit. Even if it's double strike. It's like you'd rather... I mean, it depends on the situation, obviously. That's the other thing. If all you got is two life, you'd rather take the crit, obviously. Especially if it's just one damage versus the double strike. But if you're in a situation where, you know, you'd rather have card advantage... You rather take the double strike over the crit, so you negate the crit but take the double strike. Even though the double strike is more damage, you're benefiting from it financially. One because you're replacing. First off, you're replacing the the negate that you played, and second, you're getting a plus out of it, right? You're getting an extra card on top of the fact you replaced the negate. So, because anyway, if you didn't negate at all, you're taking three damage, but you're only plusing two cards. You're only getting two cards out of it if you don't negate either one. You know the, the, the attacks. But this is a way you can reduce the attack and still benefit something, right? Still get something out of it, right? It just depends on, on the situation that usually determine. This is why it's not always straightforward on how to negate, right? Or how to block or how to out combo, you know? A lot of times it depends on the situation, the board state that determines how you're going to negate which is why it's important to be flexible, to be open-minded to different ways of doing things. But then back to the mulligan thing, because some decks, you have to have specific cards in your opening hand. And if you don't know what those specific cards are, because you never listened to the person who, uh, whose deck you uh, copied because you were too busy just copying their deck and assuming you, you knew how to play the deck properly, when in fact you didn't. Like some people, you know, be, you know, be questioning me on some of my decks, which is fair. Uh, questions are important. That means to me, that means they want to know what, you know, what's going on. Right. They want to know how to play the deck. And I respect that. But it just cracks me up. Like with my hatchet decks, when I'm like, oh, yeah, the idea is not to awaken. You don't need to awaken your leader. You're 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 trying to be very defensive through. <coughs> sorry. <coughs> through negates and blockers and sometimes comboing and since that's 
you're mainly focusing on that, making it hard for your opponent to attack your leader, you don't need your leader to be awakened, right? Now, we know you get some card advantage by the leader be awake, the hatchet leader being awakened, but that's why we have other cards in the deck, like a unison, for example, that lets you draw, battle cards that let you draw, and your defensive capabilities. The fact that you can, you know, stall long enough to draw a card every turn, and you don't have, a lot of times you don't even have to charge that many ener that much energy. You can probably stop like on four or five energy, and after that, you just, you know, every time you draw, you just keep the card in your hand. You just don't charge and keep it. So you're already getting some form of card advantage. And that's the thing, is like when you have to take certain things into consideration. If you're not going to awaken with the hatchback leader, then you gotta make sure you have some ways of drawing in the in the deck. So when I do the decks like the blue hatchback deck, most of the unisons have draw effects. So I'm gonna get card advantage anyway, even without awakening the leader. So I have no problem not awakening the leader because I'm already gonna get uh, draw, you know, card advantage through through the deck strategy. Plus, the goal is to win the game, not necessary to draw. Definitely not necessary to get the leader awakened so it has that extra 5k um, power. Like, that's not necessary. You know, not saying it's not useful. I'm just saying it's not necessary. You could play the game without awakening your leader. As long as you have a strategy to win the game. Unless your leader on the awakened side is your win con. It's the way you win with the deck. You know, like, let's say Beerus, the Beerus leader. The Beerus Leader on the Awaken side has the auto-win effect. So it makes sense. You have to awaken the leader in order to do the 16 energy and win the game effect. That makes sense, right? But if your leader doesn't have a win con built in on the Awaken side, you don't really need to awaken the leader. It's not that deep. You can play without awakening, right? So that's a little bit of game theory right there. Or at least should be common sense, but... Ironically, common sense is not as common as it used to be. So, you know, things like that, if you're thinking about, like, you know, on how I build my decks and play, is like, sometimes you got to try different things, do things differently. Too many people are, are obsessed with the idea of, like, I got to, or convinced, I should say, or they're just stuck in their ways of, oh, got to awaken my leader. Got to, um, what is it called, uh, self-awaken. Got to take life so I can awaken. You know, they're so hung up on that idea of awakening and awakening early just because they're they're trying to get they're trying to get that 15k it's like they like seeing their leader awaken they like to seeing their leader with 15k power that's what it feels like to me like they prefer to see 15k on their leader because there's no real logical reason to awaken the leader until you know late game where it might be useful where it might be useful to awaken the leader, especially if the leader is like a draw two leader. You might want to save that for late game, especially if you're going up against hand control. Um, untap two energy leaders. You might want to save them until late game in case you want to do some type of combo to finish your opponent off. Or you try to go for game, right? You tap out to go for game and then your opponent survives. It's like, oh shit, he survived. Okay, well, I'll awaken my leader so I can untap the two energy, right? And now I have the two energy for like a topo or you know, something like that, or Oceanus or something, or Senzu Beans, Dimension Magic, you know, the works. Flying, flying Nimbus, uh, whatever, whatever, you know, Floodgate, Negate you have, you want the energy for it, and that's why you save the, the untapped two energies for late game. You know, for after you try to go for game but didn't succeed in going for game, you can untap your energy and be able to defend and survive the, your opponent's clapback. 
because there will be a clapback. And you should always assume that there's going to be a clapback. So prepare for your shit, for it, right? It's the same thing as an, being in a real fight. You don't swing, you know, a whole bunch of punches at your opponent, right? And then be like, all right, my opponent's still standing. They didn't get knocked out. And then just put your, your arms down, right? Or turn around and walk, you know, try to walk away. No, you you put you keep your guard up, right? You keep your hands up and expect them to come back at you. Right? So it's the same thing as playing, you know, a card game, right? Just like Dragon Ball Super. I, I think about the, the card game like it's like it's you know martial arts, right? Like it's fighting. You know, it is based off of a fighting anime. <clears throat> so logically the idea of you know attack, combo, this and that, the fact that we even use these types of terms. You know, being aggressive, being defensive. You know, I even use some terms like defensive stance, which is the concept of um, being able to attack but still being able to block. You know, so something that can that has dual attack and is a blocker, so that way you can attack and be able to block. And Bandai has been adding, you know, a lot of stuff like that into the game, right? But this is a concept that I've been, was doing before, you know, we started getting more uh, dual attack blockers. Or blockers with dual attack in the first place, because, you know, we really didn't have blockers with dual attack for a long, long time. But because Boma turns things into blockers, I put dual attacks, like red and yellow battle cards that have dual attack, or at least have an auto that lets them restand at the end of the turn, and then put them in Boma, so that way they become um, dual, you know, essentially dual attack blocker. That way I can attack and block, and that was the defensive stance strategy, right? But then Bandai was like, all right, let's put dual attack and blockers together on stuff, on battle cards, or add the or just add the auto that at the end of the turn untap the battle card, right? That way the battle that way you can use a blocker to attack and to defend instead of deciding, you know, choosing between like, oh, let me put this battle card for attacking and put this battle card in the deck for blocking sword and shield right here's my sword here's my shield instead of it being two separate cards that that's your sword and your shield right something for attacking something for blocking they're one in the same a sword and shield right defensive stance you know these are concepts now they're you know they're not concepts right anymore right <laughs> now there are things you can do in the game now there's cards that have this effect where they're you know you you have unisons that have that have dual attack and blocker right or have an auto or you know or have an active main you know marker ability that lets them restand at the end of the turn or during your opponent's turn so that way you can use them to block after you already use them to attack you know we even have some um finishers right some big you know battle cards that you can play to try to you know swing at your point for game that also have blocker they also have either the effect to restand at the end of the turn, or they just have dual attack and blocker, or triple attack and blocker. So you'd be like, all right, I can attack twice, so I have two chances to hit my opponent, or to try to, and then on the third, instead of attacking the third time, I just keep the battle card in, in active mode so I can block with it. So I have a 35 blocker, you know what I mean? Which has a higher chance of staying on the field long enough, that way next turn, I can try swinging twice again, or three times. Whatever it takes to, you know, win the game on the following turn right a 35k blocker with triple attack is delicious and from right um yeah today i just got um my gogeta thwarting 
the Dark Empire. It, uh, if I'm right, it's a 35k blocker triple attack. So, that's a good card. Obviously, going to be um, putting that into my Hatchiac deck. Gotta upgrade the Hatchiac deck, which is why I'm not surprised I'm talking about Hatchiac in this video, since I am thinking about um, new. You know, new lines of plays that I want to incorporate into the deck and make the deck a little bit more synergistic to do the things that I want to do. Um, what else? I'm always trying to improve my decks, especially, you know, I, I, I don't want my decks to be predictable. I don't want people to know what I'm doing, right? Because the element surprise is very important and it's a very useful tactic. People not knowing what my deck does even if they know what my leader does, they don't know what's in my deck until I actually use it, right? Until I actually use the cards. That, right, that gives me an advantage. Makes it hard for them to side against me since I don't side deck. I need the element of surprise to make sure people can't side deck against me, right? So I can't be playing a deck that, a, a, a specific hatchback build that everybody knows about because then they can easily side against it. I don't want that. I don't want people to have kryptonite for my deck. My deck's supposed to be kryptonite for everybody else's deck, right? So these are the kind of things that I think about when, you know, I build my decks. And sometimes I just do very subtle changes. Like I'll change a unison here and there, or I'll change a battle card here and there. I might add more uh, negates or I play less negates, you know, stuff like that. I change things, that, or ratios is what they say, right? I change up the ratios of effects or card types just to throw my opponent off because I don't want them to be able to predict they're like hmm I know he plays 12 negates in his deck so I can mathematically do the math in my head right and figure out the odds of them you know him my, you know me right having enough negates to stop my opponent right that kind of stuff so I don't want them to be able to you know just figure it out I want them to always be guessing, always be nervous, always be unsure of the outcome of the match, which is good. That's my advantage. That's part of my game strategy is that I want my opponent to be, you know, uneasy when they play against me. While I'm just sitting back relaxing because I know that one, more likely the net deck, so their deck is nothing special. It's just going to have the same old basic stuff that everybody else who plays that similar deck um, or plays that deck, or plays that lead, or whatever, is going to be playing, so I'm not going to be too surprised with what they play. Plus, I've said it many times before, that every deck is pretty much the same deck, just with a different skin, so most people think that every deck is different, but in reality, no, no, every deck's the same. On average, my decks compared to everybody else's def decks is definitely different, but among my decks, like all my decks, they're essentially all pretty much the same. They're all based off of the same, you know, concepts and game theory and game mechanics, right? I'm, I'm trying to incorporate the same concepts into all the decks. So that way, no matter what deck I play, I know how to play it. I don't have to memorize different lines of play for every deck because every deck pretty much uses the same lines of play. Turn one. You know, whatever I do on turn one, turn two, whatever I do on turn two, turn three, turn four. The way I mulligan, 
I try to make sure every deck I mulligan the same way so that way I don't have to try to memorize the different, you know, choices I have to make when I mulligan for each deck. I already know what choice I'm going to make. It's the same choice that I make with every deck. For example, I tend to mulligan my negates away. So any defensive cards in my opening hand, I mulligan them away. I make the, I make the game simple. That's the thing. I make it playing the game simple. I make it winning the game simple. So I'm always trying to find ways to finish off the game with very little effort. You know, just win the game because I played something, right? Like Android 17 Turn Ties or Mirror Creator Absorb or or Cell, you know, uh, Perfect Force Cell or something like that or Cell Zeno, you know, and the list goes on. Like of all these different cards that I will use to win out the game relatively easy just because I played them and because I, you know, have a strategy to make sure that I do win with them when I play them, right? The goal is to make sure I can play them and then win with them when I play them. And it's that simple. Just like using certain strategies like burn to win or mill to win or even hand control, you know, just make it hard for my opponents to, to be able to defend themselves so I could just easily attack their leader and just go for game just because they couldn't stop me, right? Or play something that my opponent can't negate, can't block, can't out combo, you know what I mean? Basically the you know, an unstoppable attack or something, you know, a perfect perfect thing to, to swing with, to attack with because your opponent can't block, negate, or out combo, right? And preferably can't out KO, can't KO it, right? Through a card effect. Can't touch it because it has barrier. So having deflect barrier and can't be blocked and can't be negated and can't be out comboed. That's your ideal finisher. It's something like that, right? And obviously you want it to have more, have you want it to have 15K or more attack power, obviously, right? A 10, you know. Or at least be strong enough that, you know, it, by itself it can deal damage since you don't need to combo because your opponent can't out-combo. But, you know, 15k plus, right? So a 20k that's un, unstoppable, you know, will be, is, is, is the least you can, you know, you can, you can look for. Um, let's see. Something, I mean, ideally, you'll, you'll probably want something with like 15k power um, in case your opponent manages to get, uh, what's it called, Violent Ray off, right? If they get Violent Ray off, you might want this card to have 15k power just so you can get under Violent Rays, um, but still be able to hit your, your opponent's leader if you have a battle card that, or unison, right? That just so happens to have all those criterias. I mean, in general, unisons, even leaders, in, by default, already immune to counterplay, so you don't have to worry about the deflect part. Um, since they're not battle cards, you don't have to worry about them being KO'd by card effects, so they're already immune to those, to, to that, so they don't need barrier. So then the only thing you got to worry about is block, your opponent using a blocker, your opponent using a negate, or your opponent out comboing your attack. So if you can bypass those three things, then getting <laughs> your attacks to go through to hit your opponent for the final damage, usually it's gonna be the final two or one damage, then you know your chances of winning are very high as long as you succeed in that in that purpose and that goal and that strategy, which is to get to the point where you can deal the last two damage, you know, 
and win the game. Because I've said it many times before, the first four damage is the easiest, so you don't really have to work that hard or put in that much effort to deal four damage. The next two requires a little bit of effort, right? But the last two is definitely the hardest because your opponent's not going to make it easy for you to deal the last two damage. Because if they do make it easy for you, then you just always get easy wins, right? So they gotta make it, they gotta make the last two damage difficult, right? They gotta make it difficult for you to win. But it's your job to figure out how to win despite the fact that they're going to try to stop you. You definitely don't want stuff that they can stop. I remember somebody telling me once, you know, like, why am I promoting uninteractive uh, wins, you know, strategies like burn or mill or something like that? And it's like, uh, well, these are win cons you just you just mentioned, and your win cons should never be interactive. You should never want your 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 way of winning your out your your. The, the, whatever you're going to do to win the game should not be something your opponent can stop. You don't want your opponent to stop it. It doesn't make it a win con if your opponent can stop it. It's more of a win try than a win con, right? Win condition. It's more of a win try. Like you're trying to win and your opponent, you know, can interact with it so they stop you. So then it's not really, you know, a win con if they can. So that's why it's like, it makes no sense to be like, oh no. Win cons should be interactive. It shouldn't be easy for your opponent to, to play a certain card and then win because they played it. It's like, no, that's exactly how it should be. It's called win con for a reason. If your opponent succeeds in playing their win condition, then they get to win. That's the way it's supposed to be. You shouldn't be able to not lose when they play the win con. You're supposed to lose when they play the win con. That's what makes a win con. You're supposed to lose. And the whole goal is to see who gets to the win, their win con first. Who gets to win the game first. Not, oh, you have your win con? Let me stop you. For free. Because I have guys stealing trunks or something. That'd be bullshit. If you can, you know, stop your opponent from winning with their win con for free. As if that's supposed to be a thing you can do. It's like, no. If they have their win con, they should be able to play it and win and end the game. They succeeded in getting to that point, so they're supposed to win. Just like if somebody manages to get to, like, turn 12 or something, right, and they have 12 energy and they have, you know, a 12-drop card they want to play and it's, it's a win con, well, they should win. As soon as they play it, the game should be over, right? It shouldn't be, you know, you definitely shouldn't be trying to prevent them from winning, with with that card it's like they got to turn 12 and they have the card to play they should be able to play it and win you know trying to make rules to prevent them from winning will be bullshit trying to eradicate cards so that way people can't win with their win con it's like wait what but that's their win con that's how they supposed to, that's how they win and you're going to take that away from them that ain't right right So it's the same thing, you know, when you play the game. It's like you're not supposed to make it easy for your opponent to stop you from winning. You're supposed to make it hard for them to stop you from winning. That's why, you know, playing stuff that has barrier and, they, uh, and deflect and, and dual attack or triple attack, you know, the ability to attack more than once. So that way, if your opponent does have a negate, right, does try to stop you, at least you can still, you know, try again if you play dual attack. That's something I've been promoting for over a year now is... 
to try to incorporate more dual attacks into your deck. More 30k so you don't have to combo when you swing. Right? So if you have a 30k dual attack, that's amazing. That's two potential 30k swings on your opponent. And that's going to apply tons, tons of pressure because of the way the game works. They either waste negates and blockers on the attacks, or they have to waste cards in their hands to try to out-combo the attacks if they don't want to take the damage. Or they just take the damage. That's the, the stuff you have to think about. Just make the game that simple. Play stuff that your opponent has to deal with that makes the game harder. Whole bunch of 30Ks. Shit, if you could put 40Ks in your deck, play 40Ks. Put as many as you can. And swing, swing, swing for game. Right? Swing every every chance you get. Right? Don't be afraid to deal damage. Just always make sure you keep your defenses up. That's all I'm trying to say. Keep your defenses up because if you're not careful, your opponent will beat you. Because you're not trying to stop them. Right? Even if you have the cards to do so, but don't have the energy to do so, well, you put yourself in a bad situation. So make sure you don't allow yourself to be in a bad situation where your opponent can make a comeback and beat you. Right? You want to make the game harder for your opponent, but but easier for yourself. That's why this whole oh we gotta make things fair and balanced so you know so everybody has a chance. It's like so we trying to do things randomly. Is what you're saying? So people winning is going to be random. It's not going to be skill based. It's not going to be deliberate because this person played the best, you know, strategy. You know, it's all about luck now. That's one of the issues that I have. You know, when I, when I see, like, you know, in the community or any card game community, when they try and promote certain ideas of, like, the idea of balance, when you're not supposed to be balanced. There's supposed to be an imbalance. I'm supposed to be... I'm supposed to have the, the advantage in a match. That's how you win, is by having the advantage. By being able to do what your opponent can't do. That's how you win. The whole idea of trying to make it where people win by luck. It's like, uh, nope. That's bullshit. That makes the game pointless. It's pointless to play if it's just going to be random. It's going to be luck-based. If the outcome is not determined by me, the player, then there's no point in me playing. Right? Because technically, the outcome is, since the outcome is not determined by me, why am I involved? Why am I playing the game if I'm not going to be the one that determines... How the game ends right this game is not like a you build a deck and then that's it you build a deck you submit your deck list to a tournament and then that's it you don't even have to go to the tournament because your deck will play by itself you're just waiting for the results of the tournament to see if your deck win i mean imagine if that was a thing <laughs> that'd be hilarious <clears throat> that'd be i mean that'd be an interesting idea like for like a youtube video or something just have people building decks, like deck lists, and then just submit it to an event. And let's say, well, technically, somebody has to physically play the deck, unless we use like AI or something. And then you just have some people just, you know, randomly um, play a deck, or they choose your list and be like, all right, I'm gonna play this deck. And you literally have somebody else playing your deck and you know, see what happens, right? But you as the player, the deck builder, hopefully you're a deck builder, right? You as a player, 
supposed to be able to determine the outcome. The reason you're playing a certain deck is because you want to win. You know, right? Yes, you want to have fun. We all do. <coughs> Winning is fun. Um, so why not do that, right? Why not win while having fun, right? So really be thinking about like, you know, because I'm not a content creator, so I'm not like trying to think of things to entertain people or anything like that, which makes me wonder, like, what is it that the people who do follow me, who subscribe, right, you know, who do like some of my videos, um, what is it that they're looking for, right? Like, what is it they, they want? More likely, they probably want entertainment. Um, they do want information, but it's hard to say exactly what is it that they're looking for. Like, what? I, I don't know if if my audience is, you know, casual or competitive. More likely, they, they lean a little bit more towards competitive, but you know, it's hard to say. You know, unless I get feedback, and that's one of the the, the odd issues that I get. Because you, you think. I would be getting a lot of feedback, especially with a lot of people. Not a lot, but, you know, a couple of people here and there out of the blue saying that I'm bad or judging me or, or you know, or quote-unquote critiquing me. Like, you'll have some people, they'll be like, oh, have you topped an event? Have you played an event? As if that's the only measure of of playing a game. Like, you have to go to a tournament in order for you to be considered a card game player. It's like, no, you don't have to go to a tournament. A tournament is just an opportunity to compete with other like-minded players, right? With other people who wants the experience of being able to play multiple games back-to-back -back and see who, you know, who wins the most at that point in time. That's all it is. It's nothing more than that. It's not a true measure of, you know, individual skill or decks. You know, some people like to think that it's like, oh, this is the best deck in the format. It's like, okay, <coughs> I disagree, you know, but hey, if it works for you, it works for you. But, you know, usually I can see, you know, decks that are like really, really good, that have a lot of potential but most people don't see those decks. They always see something else and give something else credit when it doesn't really deserve it, but whatever. Hey, whatever works, works, right? I keep saying that. Whatever works, works. So if it works for y'all, fine. Even if it's subpar, even if I see, you know, that there's better decks you could play, if what you're playing works, that's all that matters. Because, you know, some people like to think that the best the only thing that's good is something good, right? They think that the deck has to be perfect in order for it to be good, when in reality, the deck could be trash and still be good, right? Because I believe that the player determines the deck's capabilities, not the deck itself. The deck has options, right? The deck has cards. You put cards in your deck, right? You got nice little spices in there, right? You got a whole bunch of options in there to choose from when you play, but how you play, the decisions you make, even the decisions your opponent makes, those factors, you and your opponent, is ultimately what determines, you know, the outcome of a match. Uh, that reminds me of when I went to play that local event where 
Um, I didn't know much about uh, my game one opponent, my round one opponent, you know, deck. I didn't know what the leader did, didn't know what a lot of the cards in his, in his deck did, like a lot of what the battle cards did, because, you know, they're new. They're new cards, right? The, the, it's the Go, Go, it's the Trunks Vegeta yellow deck. So I didn't know much about <clears throat> how the deck functioned. Of course, I learned really quick from, you know, um, from game one on how, you know, the deck functions just by seeing it in action. But I still didn't have, like, all the effects memorized and stuff like that. I didn't care much. Because to me, it was just more about uh, attack power and this and that. I, I, make, I make the game simple for myself. So I try not to focus on too many details. Just, you know, how many times my opponent can attack me. How soon can they attack me. That kind of stuff. How much damage they can deal. And the chances of me, me taking less damage. Because if they have a whole bunch of 15Ks in their deck, then, you know, I have a, I have more of an advantage, right? If they have a whole bunch of 30Ks in their deck, I'm like, hmm, I'm at a disadvantage. <laughs> because that level of attack power is not, it's not easy to out-combo. When it's 15K or less battle, you know, power on battle cards and unisons, then it's easier to out-combo, right? If I have to combo. Of course, I try not to. But if my opponents are playing a whole bunch of 30Ks, it's like, hmm. Yeah, it's going to be tough. I definitely can't out-combo those things, which means I have to negate and block as much as possible. And if they can put out a whole bunch of 30Ks, a turn, and swing with a whole bunch of 30Ks, then that definitely puts me in a bad situation. I mean, that puts anybody in a bad situation. I'm just saying that, you know, if I'm in that situation, it's bad. But if I'm not in that situation, then then it's just regular um, Dragon Ball Super for me. Basic Dragon Ball Super. And I'm used to doing a lot of uh, crazy, you know, wombo combo type stuff. I'm, I'm always doing some next level shit anyway. So when somebody does bring a deck to me, right, I play against a deck where they're doing some like really cool, you know, unique things, right? They got some cool strategy that comes in the arch type. Then, I, then I'm like, you know, I think it's cool, all right? But not too surprising because I'm like, eh, I do, I do shit like this generically anyway so i'm not surprised when an, an archetype does something right like i wasn't too surprised with the launch deck or even king piccolo deck and i and i went to an event where i played against king piccolo and i had the advantage easily i had the advantage against the king piccolo deck because my deck does what it does and it's the original right because i i was i've been doing that strategy for the longest so it just tries to do what I do, right? So nothing new. So it's not like it was a surprise where I'm like, oh, damn, what, 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 what you doing? Oh, what does that do? What does that do? It's like, no, I'm just, oh, you're going to summon a whole bunch of stuff and try to attack me with everything. No, nothing new. My deck does the same thing. It summons a whole bunch of attackers and attacks for a lot, right? So... I simplify the game, you know, it's like, I'm, I'm, you know, I got the whole been there, done that concept where it's like, well, I've been done those types of things. So, you know, none of that stuff is new to me. I just don't know, you know, the exact effects of your cards, but I, I see what your deck is doing and it's capable of doing. It's like, okay, it's, it's, it's doing this, it's doing that. It's, it's, it's either control deck or aggro deck. That's why I play styles matter. Cause it's like, no matter 
<laughs> how many different arch types gets created by Bandai. A lot of these arch types are going, I mean, yeah, arch types are going to fit within certain play styles. You know, aggro, control, mid-range, you know, stuff like that, right? Mill, burn, hand control, right? Chip board control, uh, draw control, energy manipulation. You know, the list goes on of all the different types of you know, concepts you can think of. You know, defensive stance, right? They'll attack you, but still be able to block you. You know, all types of different things. But ultimately, you know, everything is pretty much simple and straightforward. You, you, if you play one, one aggro deck, you play them all, right? That's what I'm trying to say. You play one control deck, you play them all. You play one hand control deck, you play them all. And the list goes on, right? That's what I'm trying to say. It's like once you get used to certain play styles, it doesn't matter what your opponent, what deck your opponent is playing. It doesn't matter if it's an old deck or a new deck. You already have the experience from playing against a certain type of strategy, certain play style. And that right there gives you all the experience you need to play against any deck that, that incorporates that play style. You know, if you played against Janimba, Mil, Milnimba, right? Well, you're not, you have experience to, you know, when it comes to Cooler Mill and Android 16 Mill and Android 21 Mill and um, what else? Uh, Shenron Zeno Mill and there's a couple other Mill decks out there. Um, but you get the idea is, you know, that you want to learn all these different, you know, play styles, right? And then that right by default just gives you the experience against all these different decks. So it doesn't matter what your opponent's playing because if you played one control deck, you played them all. Like, that's what I'm trying to say. That's why I always say that every deck is pretty much the same deck. It's just different skin, right? Different colors, different artwork. Different uh, energy costs. That's it. Not. It's it's very rare for anything to be so unique and so different that you know people will be like, damn, this deck is so unique and different that no one has ever really played against something like this. So people need to learn this. It's like nah. Even when they 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 start doing the the unison thing where they start playing, making archetypes based off of playing a whole bunch of unisons. It's still aggro. <laughs> That's it. It's unison aggro. It's using unisons to aggro your opponent. Uh, yeah, you already. We, if you already know how to play against aggro, you know how to play against these unison-based decks, right? Common sense. If they use a whole bunch of unisons to counterplay, right? Well, if you play control against control decks, a heavy unison deck, a heavy counterplay unison deck. It's, it's not that different from a regular counterplay deck, so, right, a control deck, so if you play a control deck, you know how to deal with this. The list goes on and on, so I never have to worry about playtesting a lot against a lot of these newer decks because there's not, not nothing nothing too special about them, right? The, the, if you if you played against one aggro deck, you played them against all, right? Um, and, and with that in mind, the deck that was talking about the whole tr trunks and... Uh, Trunks and Vegeta deck. Um, well, I beat the deck easily, and it was my first time playing the deck against the deck, and I beat it because it's just like, oh, this is not too, too, this is not too special. It's not too different, too new. Right? Some people like to think, oh, this is a new archetype, new deck. 
you gotta learn all the new stuff. It's like, no, there's nothing here to learn. It does a lot of the same stuff that old, a lot of other decks used to do. You know, this is trying to be an aggro deck, a yellow aggro deck. That's nothing new. And I already know how to play against aggro, period, let alone yellow decks. So I know Flying Nimbus is around, right? Crusher Ball or something similar to that. So it's like, yeah, this is nothing new or special. So I already know how to deal with it. So it's not surprising that I won against um, that deck. I still have to edit the video of that match, that game, and upload it. But that, that was the point. It's like I didn't need to play test against that deck in order to play against it. Because I already have the experience to play against the strategy, the concept, right? These play style. So I didn't need to play test against the deck. Sometimes there's certain cards you need to know how to deal with. That I agree with. Some cards by themselves are so different, so unique, that it does require you to have some experience. Right? Like Baby Hatch Yak, the Boo Unison. That's a problematic unison that I've, I've had some... Uh, experience with it it is good so good that i bought me a playset obviously <laughs> and i got my playset so i'm putting that in my zamasu deck but anyway uh you know it's like it's a good unison and i was thinking like damn how can i deal with this unison because this unison actually is a problematic unison this and even the jiren three drop jiren unison so, so the pride of university 11 or something like that um even that I had a, you know, even stuff like that. So pretty much any unison that has the ability to do stuff on your opponent's turn are unisons you need to look into, right? You, you need to beware is what I say. Beware of them. Make sure you know how, make sure you have ways to deal with them because they can do stuff on your turn, so you got to be careful. So any unison that can do stuff on your turn are problematic unisons. Other than that, most unisons don't really matter because, you know, all their effects are on, their, on your opponent's turn. So they don't really, so they're not much of a problem. You could just attack them and pretty much try to get them off the board. And that's if you want to. I don't recommend wasting any valuable attacks on unisons. But if it's a unison, especially a blue unison, so that means you know guys in the trunks is, is, is there, um, then yeah, that you have to be careful of. So that's why the blue unison with guys in the trunks is very problematic. So that's something I got to be aware of. Not that I gotta be afraid <laughs> or anything like that. Obviously, just beware. Like, beware that that is a thing. That the Boo Unison is so good in more ways than one. Not just the fact that, uh, you know, it uh, it's a Blue Unison and God Sealing Trunks and stuff like that. It's also the fact that it, you know, well, the effect on your opponent's turn is good. It's a blocker. It has the ability to draw a card and untap energy. And it's, you know, 20k double strike. So it can kill Unisons. It can definitely apply pressure to your opponent. It's defensive, very you know good at, at defense. It could potentially stop two attacks. You know, being a blocker plus it's minus one ability, and then of course, guys, and trunks being being an option. So that's potentially three things you can, three three attacks you can stop, right? Three potential um, damage you can stop with those just that you know that card plus the fact you untap an energy so you could play a negate. Uh, or Senzabine or something like that with your leader and you know be able to play multiple negates so many options and then of course drawing a card is always good because you know card advantage so with all that being said you know obviously that boy good so that's why it's like I had to figure out like hmm how how can I deal with that unison 
it has been getting in my way a couple of times when I played online and at that event, that, that local tournament I went to, what can I do about it? And so far, my, my current solution is if you can't beat them or it's hard to deal with them, join them, right? So make my opponent struggle with the Boo Unison by playing my own Boo, you know, Boo Unison. So that's why I have them. So my out to the Boo Unison is to play the Boo Unison and just have a unison battle basically, right? I'll try to knock down their Boo Unison with my Boo Unison. And hopefully I can protect my Boo Unison with like a negate or something so that I can, you know, keep applying pressure and keep attacking his Unison until I kill his Unison, all right? So that's the idea there. So that's the kind of stuff. It's just, sometimes you just gotta know how to beat certain cards like Black Mass Saiyan, for example, if your opponent plays the one-drop Black Mass Saiyan, having cards in your deck that can easily get rid of them, like a leader, a unison, an extra card, a battle card that has an effect to KO the card or warp the card or something, like that, that'd be useful. I mean, it'd be funny for you to take the battle card away from your opponent, be like, all right, I'm going to play this card, which lets me steal your Black Mass Saiyan. Now, when you play <laughs> battle card 15K or higher, um, through effects, you pitch two cards from your hands, right? That kind of stuff. So, like, that kind of thinking. But other than that, it's like, sometimes you gotta deal with certain tech cards. You know, a baby Hatchiak or Topo or Oceanus or even, you know, a Floodgate Negate like Violent Rays or, you know, uh, Dormant Potential Unleashed or something like that. Like, these types of little things you gotta, you gotta beware of and, and keep, in keep in mind that these are the things you might have to deal with. But other than that, other than these little generic, you know, cars, you know, spice and whatnot, most decks are pretty much the same. People are gonna be playing stuff that has 15K or more attack power. If they're gonna use it for an attacker, if they play anything weaker than 10K, for example, or weaker than 15K, it might be a blocker or it might be a super combo or something of that nature. You know, it's the only reason the battle card will have low attack power is because there is being used more for its effect than it is for its power obviously if it has high attack power like 20k 25k 30k 40k right stuff like that clearly it's meant to be used as an attacker right unless it's a blocker with a high power then it's probably used for blocking but if it has the ability to attack and restand to block then it's used for both purpose right offense and defense you know basic stuff like that so I'm getting into a lot of, you know, obviously game theory and game concept, which hopefully that, uh, that's what a lot of people want to hear. Hear me talk about different, you know, strategies, um, my, my my insights to game plays. So as opposed to just, you know, talking about cards and, right, cards uh, that came out or products or, you know, or the community, you know, like, <laughs> you know, stuff like that. Uh, I doubt people want to hear me rant about things that I see in the community that I might not be a fan of, you know. But if I if I have a rant, I have a rant, right? But you know, more likely, I assume that people want to hear me talk about, you know, spice, right? You know, certain cards that are good that they probably already have, and then they're considering trying it just because they heard me talk about it, because I was able to, you know explain 
why I think it's useful, why, why the card is good in my mind, in my eyes, right? And then they might want to give it a try and see if it's, if it's uh, useful. And I'm all for it, right? Because I agree, you know, people need to do that more often. Is try new things, try different cards, you know, come up with new spice. You should always be improving your, your deck, always trying to change cards in your deck. You know, every 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 time you you know every time you go to an event, right? You know, every format you're always wanting to improve because you always want to stay ahead of the game, right? You don't want the game to surpass you, right? You don't want everybody else to start. You know, you don't want to be the person who whose deck still consists of a lot of 10ks, 15ks, right? And your opponent and everybody else is playing a whole bunch of 40ks and even 35ks in their decks, and you're like, ah, y'all battle cards are strong as hell. That's a lot of attack power y'all y'all battle cards have. Mines don't have that 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 level of attack power. Maybe I need to upgrade. Yeah, you should have been upgrading the whole time. Your deck shouldn't be still, you know, a whole bunch of 10Ks, 5Ks, you know, 15Ks. Like you should already be, you know, playing a whole bunch of 25Ks and above right now. You know? Because every year I'm always trying to, you know, play stronger, stronger things. Technically, there's no need to go to go anything and to go anything stronger than 25k or 30k. 25k's and 30k's are just good enough. Like there's a lot of good 25k battle cards and um, and 30k you know battle cards that you can play that are generic, that are or are archive specific. So you don't really need anything stronger than that. But if you can put 40k's into your deck or have a strategy where you can always swing 40k at your opponent, then that's what you want to do. You want to make sure you, you can swing 40k, 50k, 60k, 100k. Imagine that, 100k every time you swing. <laughs> Imagine that, man. One, the reason why you want these high attack powers is because you're trying to reduce the possibility of your opponent out-comboing your attack. And if your opponent does manage to out-combo your attack, Hopefully they wasted a whole bunch of cards from the hands to do so. So you're kind of doing like a hand destruction type thing in that regard. So that's why I'm always, you know, promoting the idea of not comboing. Don't waste your hand. Keep your hand. Play stuff that's strong so your opponent has to combo. You know, you want to put your your opponent has to either A, out combo your attack, or B, just take the hit. And that's what you ideally want is them to take the hit. One of the two, you want a win-win situation, right? You want a double-edged sword. You want them to either A, take the damage, or B, lose half their hand size. One of the two is a win-win for you. Whether you deal them damage or you, you know, destroy half their hand because they out-comboed your attack. That's ideally what you want, one of those two. So you always keep that in mind that you want to force your opponents to either A, take damage, or B, um, you know, reduce their hand size drastically. Just because, just because you, just because you attacked. Think about it. All you did was attack. You didn't do nothing too special. All you did was swing with something that's 30K or 40K. And now you force them to, to either take a hit or lose their whole hand size. Granted, blocking and negating are options, right? But if they're, you know, but if they're using that to try to stop you, well, they don't have it later when, it's, when they might need it to stop you from winning, right? Especially if you're swinging 30 and 40K, you know, early game so turn three turn four you know turn five you're swinging with a whole bunch of 30 and 40 k's you're obviously going to have the advantage in that in that regards and you want to simplify the game and make the game simpler for yourself so just keeping that in mind just saying 
look for a whole bunch of 30Ks and 40Ks you can try to put into your deck. And that's the thing, you gotta make it fit. Some, you know, some people are just waiting for an archetype where it's like, oh shit, this is like Dark Bully, but with 40Ks, yay. I mean, think about it. I was already trying to do the whole 30K thing before um, the Dark Bully deck was even a, a deck. But once the deck came out, suddenly everybody wants to play 30Ks. Like, oh yeah, 30Ks, 30Ks are good. Uh, they always was good. But then, you know, when Bandai makes it an archetype, suddenly everybody, you know, thinks it's a good idea. No one thought it was a good idea to have a whole bunch of unisons in a, in a deck until Bandai made two archetypes so far that are, that are unison heavy. Now everybody, you know, trying to play up to 24 unisons. Like, hmm, now y'all trying to play a shitload of unisons in y'all decks. Hmm, I wonder who's been doing that for years since Unisons came out. Hmm. Oh, well. I can't think of a name of that person. And that's the end of the podcast.